Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. You know, you can uh, look at the bulletin a bazillion times in proofing it and still miss something. And the miss today is that we are in Isaiah 61, not 41. So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah 61. As you do, I want to uh, encourage you to uh, do a couple things. Uh, number one, um, pray for teachers. This next three days is like Paris Island in the middle of July for them. And they're not the DI. Um, you know, the kids are off the wall and I think their parents give them candy to ride the bus with. So, pray for teachers. Uh, secondly, remind, reminder that yesterday we celebrated the union of Nathan and Joy here, and so pray for them as they are off traveling in the mountains and uh, as they begin their life together. Isaiah 61, would you pray with me? Give grace, O oh God, that as we hear this word proclaimed, this text from which your son drew his very first published sermon in Luke chapter 4, that we would be reminded afresh of its power And the fact, Lord, that it is still fulfilled today in our hearing through your Son and should be fulfilled in our proclamation. Give grace to move us, O oh Lord, to the heralding spot that you would have each of us to be. And bless me with the words that are needed for those who have gathered to hear. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, the readings that the church around the world looked at focused on the call to prepare. As we heard John the baptizer make his call to repent and prepare the way of the Lord as he stood on Jordan's banks. Preparation is important, beloved, because it lays the foundation for our next 
Adventine task, proclamation. Why is preparation so important to proclamation? Well, it means that whatever it is that we are to proclaim in all of its facets lines up with what God is calling us to proclaim. It means that the words fit in our mouth and don't sound like mistakes flying out as we proclaim them. You know, it occurs to me that we are all very fond of quoting Isaiah 55, 11, where the prophet declares from the Lord, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, as I read that, I think we miss some important parts in that text. Like, my word, my word, God says. Not Mark's word, not one of your individual words, not our corporate word. God says, my word. He also says, that to which I purpose. It's not what I want then. It's what God intends with the word. And furthermore, he says, where I sent it. Meaning, it's to the ones he wants it to go to, and not necessarily the ones that I want it to go to, or would prefer it to go to. You see, beloved, I think we in the church in America this morning aren't finding the success we think we should when we go out and proclaim the gospel because while we quote Isaiah 55, we're not applying Isaiah 55 because we're not giving His word. We're not choosing His purpose. And we're not sending it to the places wherein God intends for it to go. So what do we need to do to adequately prepare to proclaim what it is that God is calling us to proclaim? Well, first, we need to ask ourselves, under whose authority is it that we are proclaiming? Notice verse 1 of chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. You know, ambassadors are ones who do not speak on their own authority, but speak on the authority of the nation that sends them. They have to match up with the goals and attitudes of their home nation. If they do not match up, then nobody uh, is going to believe them in their uh, home nation that they're doing what it is that they're supposed to do. And basically it messes up all sorts of diplomatic entreaties. They have to pronounce that attitude and message of their home nation not on their authority 
even when it makes them look like they have lost their minds. I was reminded of this this week as I looked at this text. Do you all remember Baghdad Bob from the Second Gulf War? They'd go and they'd interview Baghdad Bob and Baghdad Bob would say, all is great, all is wonderful, we are winning the war. They can't even land a missile. And as missiles are landing behind him, he did what? He didn't speak on his authority. He spoke on the authority of the nation that had sent him out in front of those cameras and proclaimed it. The rest of the world says this doesn't match up. Beloved, when we don't speak the message of the kingdom, when we, don't speak on, we speak on our authority and it doesn't match the goals and the ethics of the kingdom, then no one's going to listen to us. And so it would be helpful for us to remember that when we go and proclaim, we are proclaiming the ethics of the kingdom, a kingdom that is founded on the ideals of grace and love and peace and hope and joy and justice and above all, a multitude of mercy through multiple chances. Beloved, when we do that, when we do that even when we do not want to do that, we're not speaking on our authority. We're speaking on the authority in which the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has anointed me to go and proclaim. The question then becomes, to whom are we to proclaim this message? To whom are we to declare the ethics of the kingdom? The easy answer is, to those who need good news. But we must understand something that I think too often we divorce from the biblical text. And that is that Jesus never includes just good news spiritually in his proclamation. But he includes good news physically in his proclamation. He does not come to just simply free the soul, but because Jesus preaches a holistic gospel, he is trying to free people in general from the states in which they find themselves in, whether that be blind, whether that be paralyzed, whether that be through uh, declaring about what good employment practices should look like through a parable, whether that be through feeding people on a, on a plane, whatever it is, Jesus is seeking to do a holistic gospel, as evidenced by the text this morning. Pick back up and Verse number one, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and today and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Beloved, the reasons why people are suffering here should be noted. Jesus is coming to free prisoners, 
not just spiritually. The text doesn't seem to have simply a spiritual implication to it. Jesus is coming here to free prisoners. Prisoners who at this time in the life of the nation of Israel were being improperly imprisoned for trying to do the right thing. A reminder to you that if you were to go over to the next book, you would find Jeremiah. And how many times did Jeremiah line himself in a prison cistern because he proclaimed the word of the Lord and the king did not like it? How many times does this occur repeatedly throughout the scriptures where people get in trouble for doing the right thing and wind up in prison? And here he says, I'm going to release the prisoner. But it goes further than that. We should ask ourselves, why is it that all of these people are suffering? Maybe it is the fact that they have not received what belongs to them back. You know, when you read verse number 2 and you hear to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that means a year of jubilee. Jubilees happened every 50 years according to the law, but Israel never ever celebrated the year of jubilee, which meant that because the law stated that during a jubilee year, all debts were canceled, and if you had somebody's land that it belonged to them that they gave you so they could make a living for a while, the Bible says that that land was to go back to the original owner. Now, beloved... You and I would sit there and go, that would create economic crisis. I didn't create this economic system, beloved. I'm just preaching what the text says here. And the text says here that God says these people are suffering because they can't ever get their land back because nobody will ever declare Jubilee. And they're brokenhearted. And God says, I've watched them. There are other reasons why you could be brokenhearted. We all know those. They can be lost, but beloved, you could be brokenhearted for any number of other reasons that have to do with you physically and your physical condition, like the fact that you are hungry, like the fact that you have had something stolen from you like the fact that life has just been beating you down. Hence why they have, it says here uh, at the end of verse number three, about halfway through verse number three, a faint spirit. He's going to give them a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. I have a book I want to read in the new year. It's not singular in its approach. I've heard it many times before, but I want to read it in the new year. And that is the fact that it's a study about the African-American community and the physical and emotional toll African-Americans face because of systemic injustice in our nation and how it has built up. It's called weathering. The very name of it says that there are some who are walking among us who have been beaten down and weathered down like the side of a mountain such that they have a faint spirit. And yet the text here declares that it is that the, the, the spirit of the Lord God has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to give those of a faint spirit the garment of praise. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 4 says, 
They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. In other words, beloved, there are people here in this text who are dwelling in broken places. Broken places. Not just simply inside their own bodies, but in broken places, in broken societies. And he says that this is coming as good news to them that are working with all sorts of systemic injustices. What the text here in the, calls the devastations of many generations. And I would be remiss, beloved, if I did not stop this morning and say, did you notice that it says many generations? This is not something that has, will, has occurred because the Babylonians have come through and laid waste of Babylon, I mean of, of Jerusalem. It's not something that has occurred uh, because there has been 70 years before, since the captivity began to when they are released. That's not what's going on here. The implication here is many generations, which means that before the captivity, things are going on. Beloved, that means that they were living amongst unrecognized injustice in their world and they did nothing for it. And by the way, that also gives credence to why God brought judgment upon them. And to these folks, God says, go and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you say, well, what is it that we're to proclaim? What is it beyond the year of the Lord's favor that we are to say? Because this is a momentous task, Mark. These are people who are really on the margins of life. These are people who have lost all hope, who have lost all sense of joy, all sense of peace, all sense of wholeness, all sense of any kind of anybody loving them. They have been beaten down to a pulp. What is it that you think the Scripture says they should go? Don't smile, but I think it's what the Scripture says. Because in verse number 8 it says, For the Lord, for I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. He says, go tell them I love justice. What is justice? It's not something that is this thing that just sort of glides out there and every time you hear some ruling by a court, it's, it's this you know, sort of thing that just floats around as an ideal. No, God has a set thought pattern about injustice. It's why etymologically the word justice and righteousness are the same throughout the scriptures. It means to be brought into a right place. It means to be brought into to right standing. It means to fix like a, a broken bone. You, you set it. Remember, I broke my ankle. 
I'm in the emergency room at, at Duke. And I was uh, feeling a lot of pain. And they said, we're going to set your ankle. And the guy, they brought in people with them. They brought in a team, one to hold this shoulder down, one to hold this shoulder down, one to hold this leg down, one to hold this leg up. And then there was that fool at the end who went, and he said, didn't take. Now that's not what I said. I was very clear about the fact that I thought it took. <laughs> you know, beloved, fixing broken things is not easy. But God loves it. It's not my decision to love it. I'm supposed to love the things that God loves. And right here it says... I love justice. And he says, I will faithfully give them their recompense. In other words, I will give them everything that they have been owed. That whatever it was that the injustices that they have been going through has kept them from having, in other words, the non-proclamation of Jubilee, I will give them back everything that they are owed. And what does that do? What does that do here in the text? Verse number nine. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them and they, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Did you see that, beloved? They're not going to be anymore on the, on the margins of life. God says, I'm going to bring them to where everybody knows them, where they are part of the community. I'm not going to bring them from the outside, keep them on the outside. I'm bringing them into the core. And by the way, they're going to have offspring. What is an offspring? Duh, it's a kid, Mark. No, beloved, it's a hope for a future. It's a hope for a future. It means that everything isn't going to die here, but it's hope for a future. Now, beloved, one of the most dangerous things in the world that you can give somebody is hope. A little bit of hope will keep them going all day long. And one of the worst things that you can do is smash their hope. And so, beloved, we are to go and proclaim justice. We are to proclaim that God is going to right things and, that, and to do that, we're going to be the instruments of that here in this world. We are going to seek to right the wrongs that are present in the world. And in doing that, we are going to give people hope. Hope. Do you... Do you 
Do you understand hope? I mean, so often it is that we live lives that are hopeless. I know that. I live one of those. Because of my mental illness, I cannot bring myself to hope. Right now, Eliza is saying, Mark, we've got to prepare to leave for vacation. We've got to prepare to leave for vacation. And I keep ignoring her. Why? Because I can't mentally take my hopes dashed. Because hope is that powerful. Now, beloved, it doesn't matter we go out in the world and say there's hope. Our task is to go out into the world and say, there's hope. Here it is. It's not just Jesus and life with Him, but it is the ethic of Jesus' kingdom of He shall reign forevermore, meaning that that reign gets brought into this time period. And we right wrongs. And so it is. We have looked at whom and what and whose It all seems that we have left is how and why. So let's handle the why right now. Because that's the easy one. And we'll go back in the text. Verse number one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me. Beloved... (laughs) that's the why you've got to proclaim because God anointed you to go do it no Mark no 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 that's your job no beloved see I've read the book I've read the book and over in Acts chapter 2 I'd encourage you to go read it because Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he goes to my old pal Joel who is, memory serves me, a contemporary of Isaiah. And he stands up on the day of Pentecost, after the Spirit has fell, and he says, it was what was spoken to you by the prophet Joel, that the Spirit shall fall on all peoples. That just don't mean short, fat preachers. That don't mean missionaries out somewhere in places we don't know. That don't mean church planters in inner cities in America. That don't mean chaplains in hospitals holding hands of the dying. That means if you are under the sound of my voice this morning or later this week as you're watching online or you're tuned in on a podcast 67 weeks from now, beloved, that means you. The Spirit of the Lord is on you and he has anointed you and that's why because the power of the love of Christ should move us and therein is the how because the spirit's on you we're Baptist and we don't like to think about the spirit Because that makes us look too Pentecostal. So let me put it to you in theological words for you, beloved. When the Spirit comes upon you, it does a lot of things. 
when the Spirit comes upon you, it resurrects you. Because you are dead in your trespasses and you are brought to life through Christ Jesus. So there is also a regeneration that occurs. So, beloved, you are dead and now you are alive. Now, I don't know about you, but that's some pretty powerful stuff. If it can take you from dead to life, it can take you from no hope to an eternal hope. If it takes you from nothing can grow to a full-blown regenerative process in your life where you can bring forth fruit. And it don't stop there. Because it also redeems you. And it takes you, yeah, Ephesians chapter 2 says it takes you from being a child of wrath to being an adopted son of God or daughter of God. It pure changes your family genealogy. And most of us wish that we could change our family genealogy because we got some nuts up in there. But <laughs> that's the power of the Spirit at work, beloved. So we can sit and we can say, oh, it's not going to do anything. Yes, it will. It's already there. You don't have to wait for it. When you found Jesus Christ, it hit you like a bolt of lightning and it is in your heart today. And because of that, you go out and you do the how. And the how is verse number 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a priest with a head, beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Beloved, He's given you something to wear. You know, a lot of us would say, oh, I can't do that. I don't have a thing to wear. You know, I'm so thankful Eliza doesn't ever do that to me. She, she won't go. We're going to go to this. Well, I don't have a thing to wear. She don't do that. Some folks I know do. But he says here, I've given you something to wear. Notice what it is. It's the clothed in the garments of salvation. Which means, beloved, ain't nothing going to kill you. And he's covered you in the robes of righteousness which means that you right straight up before God. And if you're in righteousness, by the way, you should be right straight this way with your fellow man because you're going to be living justly. And then he talks about how the bride and the groom have decked themselves out. Now, we saw that yesterday. Everybody's in their finest. Which means you got something to wear. By the way, it also means that you can go do it how? Begrudgingly? Half-heartedly? Eh, apathetically? Anxiously? No! Joyfully! Joy to the world! 
Now, beloved, are you doing that? Some of you are thinking, I don't know why Eliza fed him this morning, but we don't want it next week. I ain't eat yet, I just took my pills. But as I read this text, it means that everything I could ever need to go change the world, He has already given me. He's given me the message, the authority to proclaim it. He's told me who to go to. He's given me the power to go do it. He's given me the clothes I'm going to wear. I mean, what other excuse is there? He's even told you where to find them. You might not like who you're being sent to, but that don't change things. (laughs) And by the way, as we started, he's already said this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Which means that it is still to be fulfilled every other day as the kingdom of God is lived out. And if Grove Park is a kingdom-driven church, it means we better be living it out. Band days home football games were always long because back then Carolina could only play at 12 o'clock which meant that I had to be up at 6.30 I had to be down at Navy Field at 7.30 with my horn out all decked up in my uniform And then we had to rehearse for two hours. And then we had to go back up to main campus and play Tar Heel Town, although it wasn't known as that then. And then we had to march all the way down Stadium Drive. And by the way, it's not marching like you think of. It's jumping and moving and all sorts of things. All the, for those of you who were here yesterday, the rhythm that you saw me do during Nancy's postlude was in part learned. I just left out the hand motions on that trip to Stadium Drive. And then we'd round into Ram's Head parking lot. And back in those days, there was a hill to get you up to the level of the field. And it was marching Tar Heel tradition that when your right foot hit the bottom of that hill, you did an about face and you marched up that hill backwards. In perfect line. In step. Now you can imagine that by the time I got up to the field house, This fat old boy was tired. So they'd say, you have a few minutes to rest. Well, I take my horn down. By the way, my horn had my message on it, my music. 
I take my hat off. I take my coat off because my coat was hot and I throw it off to the side and I just sit down and die. And then the word would come. It's time. It's time. Well, then I got to go get my hat and my coat and I got to put it back on and I got to grab my horn and I got to make sure everything's right there where I need it to be. And then I got to get in my spot. So I've got my message. I've been clothed. I know where I'm going. I know who I'm going to proclaim to. And, and there I went. And by the way, when it went, I heard four taps of a drum and that meant I was in motion. Woo! And when I stopped, I heard four whistles. When I got to my spot, every time I heard four whistles. And that meant my horn was to fly up. And I was looking in a sea of Carolina fans waving pom-poms. Now some of you are saying, Mark, I pull for State, I pull for Wake, I pull for Alabama, I don't really care. I'm telling you all this, beloved, because you go through the same thing and you're right now at that moment. You, for some of you, have made it to right there on the edge of the field. And it's time to go. It's time to go. And you may say, I have given everything I have got, Mark, to this point. I ain't got a thing left to give. And you want me to go out there and march for 15 straight minutes? And I say to you, yes, beloved. Yes, I want you to. Because you've got the message. You are there as the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for just a moment, I'm going to ask Him during this next prayer to peel back the curtains of glory so that you can see the countless millions who stand on the edge of glory with heavenly pom-poms saying, you can go do this. It's time. Go, 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 go. Let's pray. Let us see glory. <laughs> Let us see glory. Cheering us on, Lord. It might be some old Sunday school teacher we, we pick out in the crowd. I, I still remember the, the day I saw my daddy for the first and only time in the crowd. Lord, let us pick somebody out in that crowd and let us know that they're cheering us on. And no matter how tired or old or hurt or suffering we are, we know that they're cheering us on. And through your spirit, we can conquer mountains. We can conquer nations with the gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Christ. So speak.
And let us see now as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.